Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be love. Let's begin today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Today we're going to be reading out of the New International Version. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the first verse, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I fought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We find in this chapter all the qualities of love. Love is the most important attribute that a Christian can have. Love is eternal, and so are the characteristics that come with it. Love is the foundation that the Christian life is built on. Noah Webster, in his 1828 dictionary, defined love as a noun, meaning an affection of the mind, excited by beauty and worth of any kind, or by the qualities of an object which communicate pleasure, sensual or intellectual. It is opposed to hatred, Love between the sexes is a compound affection consisting of esteem, benevolence, charity, and by the qualities which render social intercourse agreeable. In the latter case, love is ardent friendship or strong attachment springing from goodwill and esteem and the pleasure derived from the company, civilities, and kindnesses of others. Between certain natural relatives, love seems to be in some cases instinctive, 
such as the love of a mother for her child, which manifests itself toward an infant, before any particular qualities in the child are unfolded. This affection is the same in irrational animals as well as in human beings. We speak of the love of amusements, the love of books, the love of money, and the love of whatever contributes to our pleasure or supposed profit. The love of God is the first duty of man, and this springs from just views of his attributes or excellencies of character, which afford the highest delight to the sanctified heart. Esteem and reverence constitute ingredients in this affection, and a fear of offending him is its inseparable effect. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Love as a noun is a thing. It's a quality, an attribute. But love is also a verb, which means it's an action. The difference is, the noun is the quality and concept of love itself, whereas the verb is the force and the action of love that could be felt and seen. The same dictionary defines love as a verb, meaning in a general sense to be pleased with, to regard with an affection, on account of some qualities which excite pleasing sensations or desire of gratification. We love a friend on account of some qualities which give us pleasure in his society. We love a man who has done us a favor, in which case gratitude enters into the composition of our affection. We love our parents and our children on account of their connection with us and on account of many qualities which please us. We love to retire to a cool shade in summer. We love a warm room in winter. We love to hear an eloquent advocate. The Christian loves his Bible. In short, we love whatever gives us pleasure and delight, whether animal or intellectual. And if our hearts are right, we love God above all things, as the sum of all excellence, and all the attributes which can communicate happiness to intelligent beings. In other words, the Christian loves God with the love of complacency in his attributes and the love of benevolence towards the interests of his kingdom and the love of gratitudes for favors received. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in the 34th verse, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is when love becomes a verb, when we love God and our neighbor. Our concept of love then is turned into an action, and it manifests in front of us and in front of others, and it can be seen and felt. This was a hard concept for the Pharisees to hear, because they knew the law, and they could speak authoritatively on it, but they didn't do the law. They were not doers of the word, they were hearers only. They had knowledge with no fruit. In a similar way, they knew about love and could speak on it, but they didn't love in action. Love has no perfect definition in this world, because it is spiritual in nature. It is supernatural. Love in its truest and perfect form is beyond our understanding and comprehension. We can't fathom it in its fullness. We understand it now only in part. 1 John 4 and 8 
says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In order to deepen our understanding of love, we need to deepen our understanding of God. If we want to find the true definition of love, we need to find it in God, who is himself love. In the Greek, there are four different words for love. They are each used for different types of love. This is important because the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and occasionally, when translating it into English, there are not identical matches for certain words, or there are not different forms of words to convey differences in meaning. One key example of this is with the word love. In English, we have one word for all types of love. We speak of the love of friends, the love of family, the love of God, all as the same type of love. We use love as a catch-all phrase. But in the Greek, there are multiple words for love that each convey a special and a unique meaning. The first is eros, which is referring to physical or sexual love. This Greek word doesn't appear at all in the New Testament. The second is philos, which refers to warm affection or friendship. It can also be used in reference to family relations. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, philos is used to indicate love of parents and love of children, and is also the word used in John chapter 11 to describe Jesus' love for Lazarus, his friend. John chapter 20 and verse 2 also uses philos to describe Jesus' love for John, his disciple. The third is storge which means family devotion. It is very close to philos in meaning. Storge is not commonly used in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, it's combined with philos to become philos storgoi, which is translated in English as either devoted or brotherly affection. The last and most important kind of love is agape, which is the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. The word agape appears in the New Testament 114 times. In the New Testament, agape is the highest form of love. Outside of the New Testament, the word was rarely used. Before the time of its writing, the word agape did not carry any special significance as a higher kind of love at all. This is important because it shows us that it was the New Testament's understanding of the unique nature of God's love, not the word's usage in the Greek-speaking world of the first century that gave agape the special meaning that it has today. The word agape is the word used to describe God's love in John 3.16, because God loved the world in that highest, special, and unique way. We are commanded to love God with agape love in Matthew 22.37, and we are commanded to love one another with agape love in John 13.34. And agape is the word used for love in 1 Corinthians 13. When we love with agape love, our love is transformed from just a concept and just an understanding of love into an action of love and manifests. When we sacrifice in love, we are acting in love. Our concept and understanding is manifested outside of ourselves through the sacrifice that it produces in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the Young's Literal Translation, which keeps the Greek in its original tense, when referring to the characteristics of love, refers to love as the love. The Greek word for love used here is agape. The word the is a definite article and indicates that Paul is not just talking about any type of love. He's referring to a specific, definite type of love. He's referring to agape love, the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. The characteristics of love mentioned in this chapter are in the present tense of the Greek, 
Because since love is eternal and goes on forever, by nature, the attributes of it are present within it at all times. These characteristics that are mentioned throughout the chapter are of the love, not just any type of love, but agape love, the sacrificial unconditional love that only God can give. Not all of these characteristics are present in every type of love. Only agape love, the love of God, manifests perfectly all of these characteristics in their fullness. When 1 John 4 and 8 says God is love, the word used for love is agape. This is why all these characteristics are perfectly present in full in agape love. It's because they are fully and perfectly present in God himself, who is the personification of love. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, starting in the 7th verse, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son, and only Son, into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. Love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In verse 19, we read that we love because he first loved us. The word for love here is again agape. The reason that this is important is because this verse is revealing the paradigm shift in mankind's understanding of what love is. As we saw before, agape had no special significance before Christ came. It was only after Christ came and sacrificed his life that agape came to be understood as it is today. Before Christ had come, the world never saw agape love. Under the old covenant, love was conditional and based on outward actions and performance. This changed when Christ ushered in the new covenant where love is based off of grace and is completely unconditional. The world had seen love before. They understood eros and philos and storge, but they never saw agape before. It was a totally foreign concept for love to be unconditionally given. The world didn't fully understand love until he demonstrated it to us, not just in concept, but also in action. Now we've seen that he first loved us, and this is why we can understand it today. The other part of the verse is we love because. 
We are commanded to love God and to love our neighbor with agape love. We should love God and others unconditionally, no matter what. And this should manifest in our lives as sacrifice done towards others and towards God. We are only able to love like this because Jesus, who was love personified, because God is love, exemplified agape love in action before us. Now it is our job to follow his example and to love like he did. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now that we understand agape and have seen it demonstrated to us, we then need to operate in it. We need this special, unique, highest form of love to manifest itself in our lives. The way Christ demonstrated his agape love for us is through his death. John 15 and 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The word for love used here is again agape. Two verses later, he said, I have called you friends. We are his friends. And his agape love led him to lay his life down for us. If we are to follow his example, it entails that we are to lay down our life for God, who is our friend. Some people have done this in the literal sense, such as the martyrs. The more common way that this takes place is by deciding to live a life completely surrendered to God and to his will. Then we are laying down our life for him, our friend. Romans 12 and 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The way we show forth agape love is by laying down our lives in sacrifice and surrender to God. This is how we pick up our cross and follow him. This is the greatest love that we can show forth. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, starting in the first verse, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent, and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In verse 4, we find agape again. They knowingly left their first agape love. This means they were no longer loving sacrificially and unconditionally. They were no longer living completely surrendered to God and to his will. What made this even worse was that they chose not to continue to walk in agape love. It was a free will choice that they made. God desires agape love from us. The reason he gave us free will is because it is the only thing that makes true love possible. A love that is forced is not real love. God wants us to be genuine. He doesn't want us to be robotic. The church of Ephesus made this mistake of only loving when the conditions were right and when it didn't cost them anything. Real love is blind 
but the church of Ephesus made their love based on circumstance and things that they could observe. They were heading the wrong way. Their love had become neither sacrificial nor unconditional. In doing this, they were reverting back to their former understanding of love from before they met Christ. Only a person who has been truly saved by Christ can comprehend agape love because it's the highest form of love. It's spiritual. It's above what the natural realm can understand. The key is not only to know and act, but to live a life defined by agape love. The Lord told the church at Ephesus to consider how far they had fallen. Like the Ephesians, we need to consider what type of love we are using. Are we using eros, philos, and storge? Or are we using agape? Are we willing to love God and love others unconditionally, no matter what that entails, no matter what they do to us, and no matter how they act? Romans 13.10 tells us, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Proverbs 10.12 says in the ESV, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. We need to consider and take stock of how we love, so that we can be sure that we are operating in agape love. In each of our lives, we need to allow love, the noun, to become love, the verb, so that we can live it out in our day-to-day life. People know we're Christian by the way that we love. They know us by our agape love. Jesus said in John 13.35, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Our great love towards God and towards each other serves as a great testament to the great God that we serve. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. 1 John 3 and 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And 1 Corinthians 16, 14 tells us, Do everything in love. This is our commission from God. Let's follow his lead, and together, let's do everything in love. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love, that you came down to this dying, sinful, and fallen world, and that even when it seemed like all hope was lost in this world, that you loved us, and that you redeemed us back from the power of the enemy. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your agape love, the sacrificial, unconditional love that only you can give, Lord God. We thank you that we can also have this agape love operating within our lives and live a life defined by agape, where we desire to have this type of love within us. And we thank you that you made it available to us through your death, Lord God. Teach us the art of love, all types of love, Lord God. And let others see our testament of love for the way that we conduct ourselves and act. And let them come to you because of the love that we show forth. And we thank you that you've chosen us to be your disciples who love and who show forth love to the world around us. And where we praise you, we worship you, and we give you all the honor and the praise forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to do everything in love and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. 
You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We also appreciate if you write a review wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.